0: How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? Yeah? We had a woo in the back somewhere. That's good stuff. It is good to be in in God's presence today, gathered in His presence today. Um, I'm not sure, every time I, I come up here and we start this off, I'm always thinking, why are we all, why are we here again? Man, is it beautiful or what to worship God? You know, I, I can tell you, uh, Matt and I have discussed this enough, that, that um, our hearts are to be worshiping God like this all the time. Like out there in life, worshiping God like that. A quiet song in your heart, a, a proclamation at the top of your lungs, you know. For those of you, uh, I have a rather loud motorcycle these days and I've found that I can scream quite loudly <laughs> on it. Um, a little weird, yes, yeah. And yet, it's such an overwhelming experience to know God. And, and if you struggle with that, I'd say, you know, you're in good company. Because the Bible is full of people who just are blown away by God's magnificence. And I think that we dwell today among people who are blown away by the overwhelming magnificence of God. I mean, just His presence to us is too much to handle sometimes. And it's so good, amen. It's so good, and so I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, we, we're spending a few weeks here talking about the big story. I mean, there's this is huge narrative, and we call it scripture. We call it the Bible. We call it the 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 tradition has been handed down to us. Thousands and thousands of years of tradition Are given to us And that's one book right here Right And uh, translations have have come and gone And and people have reflected in the word And there's been books and books and books Written on the book But the book is where it's at And so uh, I, I have a great passion for the word I mean the word just drives me And, uh, if you are not engaging in that conversation, I would invite you to do that. In any way that fits for you. Sometimes I talk to folks and they go, man, I'd love to read the Bible. I can't give, you know, an hour a day. Well, don't. Give, give five minutes. Or, you know, we started something that someone brought to us to put little scripture around that's in your way. You bump into it. Engage in the Word of God. Did any of you do that this week, by the way? One of the things I put in there last week was talking about praying through some of God's promises for us. You know, the Bible is filled with promises that God makes to us. That's what the covenant was kind of all about. It's all about God. And I don't know if any of you did that, uh, because we really talk about it explicitly. But, you know, spend some time just dwelling through some promises. If you find yourself in a really hard spot, dwell through some promises of God that we find in his word. The only way you know them is if you're reading them. You don't know they're there. Somebody told me this week they were sharing something they are really excited about, and they're like, oh, I found this out. It's so crazy. I can't believe it. And they shared it, and I said, you know, it's in the Bible, don't you? Like, no. <laughs> yeah. It's right there. It's like, you know, uh, I have a friend of mine that says, even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Sometimes we're running around in life where it's like, woo, don't know what's going on. We find like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then you have someone say, you know, it's been there the whole time. That and a whole bunch of other stuff. In the word of God, I hope that you're engaging that conversation. The second big thing is a prayer life, so I would encourage you to be in both those places with God, in his word and in prayer with him and then among his people. This is what we call church. Um, so, we're talking about this big story over these few weeks, you know, seven weeks here after Easter, we're going to talk about this. And, and uh, the first thing is that we talked about a few weeks ago was that God is, that we know that God exists, that God is. He proclaims it all the time. I was reading uh, an, an ancient writer, right? Wrote around 1000. And he said, If nothing more than nature itself, you should be convinced that God is. It, and, you know, we live in an age of scientific amazement, and yet the more we dig into science, the more astonished we should be at the level of the created order we live in. It's unbelievable. If you watch the Discovery Channel, it's unbelievable. All the things that are happening around us all the time, and and they're just a gift from God. God's creation God is was the first week That he exists That he's proclaiming his truth At all times The second week We talked about creation That God had made everything for us To dwell in To love To enjoy To praise him through To experience with him You know I love that he was walking In the cool of the day with Adam You know God just hanging out In God's creation And just with Adam It was such a normal thing To just enjoy it with God Now we think it's a little weird Don't we? We have a lot of people who would try to convince us that that God isn't And and that this is all there is and and that we've made this all up And yet there's something in us that proclaims the truth that that's not the case at all And all of a sudden when you're talking with God It's a very much more normal experience than when you're not Do you know what I'm saying? Like we act like to talk to, to God in the cool of the day is the weird thing But the truth is it's not It's weird not to But we've made that normal now. Just ignore God. Maybe come on Sundays, hang out with some people who kind of sort of believe what you do. Feel good about yourself and go away. No. Walk with God in the cool of the day. God's creation. We talked about that. We talked about the fall and how we always seem to screw things up. And and I thank Matt this morning for confessing our failures. It's a beautiful thing that we can come together in prayer before the Father and admit that we always seem to get in his way. God is omnipotent and omnipresent. He can do anything, anywhere. And his people are always stiff-necked, you know. And if we follow even Jesus, we can get stiff-necked. Amen? You know what I mean? Like, what can't God do? Well, he could do anything as long as we're out of his way. That's what it seems like sometimes. And and I I say that because we are pleased to be working uh, with him. But isn't it amazing that God um, constantly redeems? And last we talked about liberation and covenant. And the way that God always fulfills his promises And we're, in a world of broken promises We're not used to that concept We think, you know, uh, you know everybody breaks promises, right? And, and we almost act like we're going to jump the, To the everlasting with our fingers crossed Hoping for the best That's not the case at all God has made clear promises to us And uh, the one, one way for sure you can know those Is to read the word Don't take people's words for it, by the way People say, God, God wants you to be happy Really? Find that, you know? God's going to make life easy on you. Really? Find that. Find that. There are some places that says that. But go and look. Engage in the conversation with God. Read his word. Pray and seek revelation. God is speaking. And I hope that you are aware of that. So we talked about his liberation and covenant, how he always saves us. And man, it's been a great, great week to dwell on that. The promise is that when you're right there at the end, God is redeeming. God is saving God is bringing his grace and mercy. And, then, and so this, the, I bring all this up because we've kind of t- taken that journey together. And we're kind of doing these little building blocks and stuff. But if there's a pinnacle, if there's kind of like the, 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 the climax of, of this series, and so the rest of you can take the, the what next couple weeks off. Those of you who are here today, you can just have the rest. of the, Whatever. Do you guys want to be anywhere else today? I mean, you know, did anybody wake up this morning and go like, oh, I want to, you know, go wherever? Yeah, man. And uh, some of you, the college students that we talked about, will already be going. But this is like the deal. You know why? Because we're Christians. This is the deal. This week is the big deal. It's the huge thing. And we call it incarnation, right? And it's this thing that, that, that God isn't just, the, you know, the God out there anymore. He's the God that's here. He's not some God that's separated, some other, some some distant. It's the most overwhelming. And so here's the struggle. I'm gonna let you in a little secret. Here's the struggle. Everything that we are as Christians is tied up in this fact. And so when you start to talk about it, it's like, oh my gosh. How do you talk about the incarnation? You know, we do it annually sometimes. We talk about it at Christmas, baby Jesus in the manger, right? And then, and then um, I almost did the Talladega Nights thing, you know, where he's like, you know, dear baby Jesus, you know, because we like that one. He's a lot more under control. You know, when he's in swaddling clothes and he's like, ah, and he needs Mary and all that stuff, that's, we can deal with that kind of a Jesus. The Jesus we can't hardly really deal with is once ones walk around saying, follow me. We're going to go do some crazy stuff. Follow me. Because then we start going, whoa, 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 you know. Oh, baby Jesus, you know what I mean? No, it's God in the flesh. It's a huge, huge deal. And, um, and so everything we have is wrapped up in this. Everything that we know is wrapped up in this. I don't know if you've ever been overwhelmed uh, to meet a person. Have you, ever, have you ever had that experience in your life? Anybody? Have you ever met someone who's like famous or... I don't know, popular, what is it? What is it that we like, we, you know, the American Idol thing, we put people up and we go, oh, what is that? Anybody have that experience in all their lives? Huh? Yeah? Celine Dion? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm kidding, Celine Dion, that's awesome. <laughs> See, you take a risk and then I do that to you, Karen, I'm sorry. No, that's awesome. How did you respond to that? Pretty cool. Yeah? Did she make you feel comfortable? Oh, that's awesome. Almost like she was a human being just like you. Almost. Yeah. Anyone else have an experience like that? Wow, that's amazing because I don't know who that would be. Rudy? Oh, wow. Frodo? Frodo? <laughs> Who else? that's awesome. You waited on him, like served him food? Wow. Did you raise your hand, Shelley? Yeah. my oldest Garth His house? He wasn't there? No, he was Oh, you're like you're like breaking in? <laughs> wow. Was he cool? Yeah, he was just an everyday kind of guy. Everyday kinda of guy. Well that's what you get in a country western singer, isn't it? Just like Garth Brooks. Yeah, Brett Favre. Favre. Nice. And were you freaking out? I actually didn't know that it was my (laughs) first (laughs) time. So what? Did you go up and talk to him? Yeah, I got to meet the little girl. Wow. Was she normal? Were you intimidated by his child even? Like you're Brett Favre's daughter. No. Oh, it's a baby. See? We don't worry about babies, do we? That's, like, ah, that's just a baby, you know? That's funny, right? We've, so many of us have those experiences. I've not. I had never had that experience, and then I just recently had it for the first time, uh, where I was somewhere, and anybody who's a Lost fan here? Any Lost fans? Yeah, okay. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a huge Lost fan. Someone got me started on it. I didn't start originally. I'm not an original Lost fan. Someone had to go through all the seasons, but you know, we were on vacation, and we found out that Lost was filmed, we were on vacation, so we, we, we were just rolling around, and we found, we weren't even looking for it, and we happened upon the filming location, and then we saw the food tent, where they're all eating lunch, and someone was serving all stuff, and we drove by, and we're like, oh, now I'll tell you, see, I didn't know his Sean, whatever Frodo's name, was that Frodo really? No, now I'm all mixed up. Sam, okay, well, whoever that was over there, like, I don't know. I only know character names. That's how bad I am with this stuff, right? And so I'm like, it's Jack and Hurley right? Those of you Lost fans know what I'm talking about, right? Well, we didn't know it was Jack. I shouldn't tell that. We, it's Hurley and Kate! That's what we said. And so I'm like, we're going to go meet Hurley and Kate. They're just people like us. I get all these convictions about being a human being. They're just normal like us. And so I parked the car, we get out, we walk over there. Hurley and Kate, we're going to come and meet. And no one stopped us. I thought someone would. <laughs> you know, like, this isn't right. You should stop me. No. I walked up, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, hey, can we talk to you a minute? And they're eating lunch, and they're like, Sure. And the dude to the left turns, and it's Jack. Right? Matthew Fox, which I didn't know at the time. So I kept calling him Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Which has got to be awesome if you're an actor. Like, they didn't get many points with him. But you know what I'm telling you the story for? Not because I met Matthew Fox, because honestly, I don't really, I'm not, I don't really care. I'm sorry. But my whole head went numb when I met him. When he turned around and looked at me, and by the way, he had makeup on, blood, and I was trying we just got that part of the series, if you're watching it, I couldn't figure out where that came from, but he turned and he says, yeah, my whole head went numb. <laughs> and you think that's bad, Chris was speechless. Like at least I was still able to talk, she couldn't even talk anymore. And I was like, oh, dude, what's up? Hurley, Hurley, by the way, is my favorite anyways, but right? some just like, I'm all about Hurley. Like, I could be buddies with Hurley. Jack kind of freaks me out, but he's cool. And some like, Hurley, what's up? And by the way, Charlie's the best. And okay. So I'm talking to him, and, and it didn't go very really well, honestly. <laughs> they were eating lunch, we we're entreating. But here's the point. I turned around and walked away from that, that meeting with them. And as I walked away, I kid you not. Following Jesus Christ, knowing the everlasting God, I became convicted of why in the world did I act so stupid around Matthew Fox? Are you with me? He's a human being just like me. And I just started to get this conviction of how am I possibly so comfortable with Jesus? How am I like, hey, Jesus, buddy, we got to talk. Hey, Jesus, I know, I got this thing I need you to help me out with. But Matthew Fox, <gasps> wow, Jack, what's going on? You know what I mean? It's weird, isn't it? We just, I just got convicted about that. And so I, I thought, what's up? That we, we live in a celebrity culture and yet we just don't respect who Jesus is or what Jesus has done. We really don't. Because if we really had a conviction about how important Jesus is in our lives and all the difference he's made to us, you couldn't stop us from telling the story of Jesus. You couldn't stop people from sharing the gospel, the good news of Christ on the cross. And so I've been dwelling in that place with Jesus for the last... uh, for the last few weeks, months, and um, and I, I, I just encourage you to go there with me this morning. But let's open the word together today. We're just going to talk about this incarnation of God in the flesh this morning. But let's pray as we open the word this morning. Father God, we come here today because of you. Because you are so unbelievably wonderful, beautiful, glorious. There aren't words to express. We try to sing it in praise and we don't get there, but we get close. We, we trust you today, Father, with our time, with our hearts, our minds, our souls, our beings, and everything we have. We pray today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would ri- dwell richly in us and among us. That, that we claim again the promise that where two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, you are present and ministering to us. May that be fulfilled today in our body. We pray today, Lord. Confess those areas of our lives that we're withholding from you. We, we want to be wholly sold out, completely overwhelmed, numb, crazy followers of you. We thank you for your mercy, grace, for all the hope and joy and for the fact that you brought us here. So so gentle with us. We love you and we give you this time. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Master. Amen. So we're going to open today uh, just reading from the book of John. This is the, the, the classic Uh, Opening, And you can turn there at 736 if you're reading one of our Bibles. I'm just going to read it. Let's hear the word together. It says, In the beginning was the word. We've all heard this before. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his very own, but his own would not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came to the, from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this is he of whom I have said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have received all one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The word of the Lord today. It's a great and glorious story, the coming of the Messiah And John, probably more than anyone else, captures this moment in history, this unbelievable moment where he and others like him have figured out that this Jesus guy isn't just a prophet, isn't just a rabbi, isn't just a teacher. He's God in the flesh. And it's this big deal. And John opens the text with such an amazing way. It reminds me of a drama. And he just kind of brings us in there. It's a return to the idea that God says, I am, and Jesus comes after him. So here's the burden, I think, where we're at now. Again, we've, we've researched, we've looked, we've read, we think, we talk. I can't believe how many people just get up and kind of share what they think is right. One of my greatest burdens, I think, as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that I never be up here telling you what my opinion is on something. Well, I think, you know, I figure this. this is my best idea on this. God has spoken about who he is, and he's spoken most clearly in Jesus Christ, and that's who we are as Christians. We're little Christs. That's what, it was a, it was a name that was kind of taught to make fun of you. Ah, you're a Christian, huh? Yeah, I am. It's the coolest thing ever. And all kind of things get in our way when we talk about Jesus the Christ. You know, we can talk about about Jesus' wisdom. We can talk about the wisdom in the Bible. We can share, you know, little tidbits and and helpful hints for life. We can be there for a friend whenever they're having a hard time. We can be a shoulder to cry on. But the problem comes when we start talking about Jesus. It does, doesn't it? Do you have a hard time talking about Jesus to people? I'm convinced, church, that we offer no hope besides Jesus. And that too many times we pretend like there's something else we're offering people. We're going to give you the, the top 10 things you should do. The best way is to approach this problem without God. That's what we're saying. And the truth is, and what's changed my life and has changed your life, if you know him, is Jesus himself. It's all we offer. It's who we are as a church of Jesus Christ. So I want to, you know, there's a lot of conversations about what Jesus did or didn't say. So I rolled through the book of John because I was blown away. Because what's amazing about Jesus is this. He's teaching his disciples. He's come like everyone else. There's tons of rabbis teaching. There's tons of people following. And he's got this kind of miscreant group that nobody wants anyway. So nobody cares. Who cares about Jesus? Nobody cares about Jesus, right? Those who are following him care. But people who aren't following him, eh, whatever. You know, just another teacher rolling around. Something begins to rankle those who are the religious authorities. Something begins to kind of not set right with them. They begin to get uncomfortable with Jesus. Because here's the switch. Jesus starts to say things about himself that people can't deal with. You think it's hard now to talk about Jesus? It was hard then to talk about Jesus. Remember when Peter denied him three times? You know why? Because it was hard. Because Jesus was saying some crazy things. He was testifying to the truth of who he was. So I went through the book of John, and I wanted to just share with you some of the things that, uh, that Jesus said that got him in some trouble. That got him in some trouble. And um, they kind of rolled through. And one of the first things in the book of John, was up in chapter 6, and by the way, all these references, I'm not going to read them, but it happens multiple times in the gospel of John. Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Now you might think, who cares? You're the bread of life. I mean, that what's that mean to us? But to a Jewish culture, they knew what he meant when he said, I am the bread of life. Well, he's just starting out, right? Well, then he goes on to say, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Oh, I'm sorry. Does anyone remember the Exodus story? We talked about how God saved the Israelites last week, right? The covenant and liberation, how they were on the water's edge, and he parted the waters, and they went across, and Egypt was swallowed up, and his enemies were vanquished. And then guess what happened? Israel wandered for 40 years in a patch of land you could get through in a few days. They just walked in circles, totally lost, and yet God provided for them every day the food they needed. It was called what? manna also known as bread from heaven so jesus says i am the bread that came down from heaven right it's a big deal he goes on and he says i am the living bread that came down from heaven in me is life what they start to get uncomfortable with jesus These are all first-person statements he's made. You see, we can get into debates. We can get into conversations. We can make it kind of all, you know, theoretical. You know, well, did he really say that? Um, Yes, he really said it. Look at it for yourself. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. You see, they start, you start to get uncomfortable. Well, I'm okay with Jesus' buddy, Jesus, and I'm okay with Jesus, you know, Jesus, God, am I okay with that? They begin to get upset with him, and it's not just the um, his Jewish brothers and sisters at the time who begin to rankle. They rankle most quickly because they know the word most closely, which, by the way, is our obligation too—to know the word that we could know when it's being proclaimed or not being proclaimed. But everyone begins to get uncomfortable, and many turn away because they can't handle it. Jesus says, um, "I am the light of the world." John said at the beginning of the gospel, the light came into the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it, right? He drove it out. He came into the world. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. He says, I am from above, and I'm not from the world. I've come from somewhere else. These are all problematic statements. And he gets to this point where he says, I am he. You see, all these statements that I've been reading to you, and the ones we'll continue to read, is Jesus saying, I am. I am, right? The Greek would be ego, e me, right? I am. You remember when, who first said this to Moses at the burning bush? It was Yahweh. I am that i am and here jesus is saying i am he i am the one i am he's making proclaim proclaiming truths about himself That no one is ready to hear. You see, I think like us, for them, they were okay with the theory of Jesus being God. I think they were okay with someday out there, maybe the Messiah will come. Someday, yes. But when he does, I'll get it. We believe the same thing. Yes, I get it. Jesus is God. Got it. Check. No. Jesus is God. And it's a whole different thing. When you buy into that concept. You see a Messiah coming indefinitely. No problem. Jesus coming today. Problem. It's a problem for you and me. We're going to talk in the next few weeks about eternity. And where we're going. And how that begins now. Same problem for us. I'm just going to wait for the rapture. I'm sorry you've missed the bus. Jesus is. Jesus is here. He says, I am he, and this really begins to rankle. As a matter of fact, when you're reading the book of John, he, he gets up, they get upset with him, and they start to say, hey, who are you? Abraham is our father. And you know what he says? He says, before Abraham was born, I am. And if you think this is out of context, read it in context, because it's even better. Because they say, how is it possible? You're not even 50 years old. You were born before Abraham? And he's like, yep, I am. Making a truth claim about himself, the Messiah, the anointed one, the coming king, the God of all things. Jesus had come into the world. He goes on. I am the gate for the sheep, Jesus says about himself. He goes on to say, I am the gate of salvation. If you enter through me, you will be saved. I am the gateway. You must go through me. Do you see how this could be upsetting if you thought there was another way to God? Especially if you'd established a pretty rigorous uh, methodology for getting access to God. Especially if you had something where you came every Sunday or every Saturday and you, and you worshipped. And then there was a special room where special things happened. You know what I mean? If, if all that's in the place and some guy comes and saying, Ah, uh-uh, I'm the gate. I'm the way. That's problematic. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, right? I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. That's still true today. That's still true for us. He says, I am God's son, right? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Not only do you have to go through me to 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 receive salvation, but I am the resurrection and the life. I offer new life and an end to death. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he makes that awfully burdensome comment, no one gets to the Father except through me. It's not just that Jesus is saying, I'm an option. You know, try things out. If they don't work for you, you can always use me. It doesn't mean that Jesus is fire insurance for us. We'll keep them in the back pocket. You know what I mean? Did you give your life to Jesus? Yes, I did. Here's my pass. Do you know what I'm saying? How many of us are counting on that? You know? Getting the St. Peter at the gate. Tick, tick. You know what I mean? Like the thing at Six Flags, the line thing. You get to go in front of everybody else. I don't think so. I don't think St. Peter's going to be at that gate checking ID at the door. We have to know him the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes but through him. He says, I am the true vine. And then he says, my father is the gardener, keeping the garden, and I'm the true vine. Then he goes on to say, I am the vine, and you all are the branches, right? We are somehow being assimilated into the kingdom work of Jesus himself. And again, clearly, plainly, Jesus says, these two words that are so offensive to anyone who believes that he's not God. I am. And I tell you, they stand in, the way, in our way as much as they stood in the way of the Jews of his day. They're as much of an obstacle to faith for us as they were to faith for them. Because we've got it figured out. We know that Jesus is nice, we know that he's somewhere out there, but we don't really believe that he's God. Because if we did, things would be different. We could not be as we are. We would be forced to change. We'd be forced, you know, from the inside out to be crying out to the God of all creation who's revealed himself in Jesus Christ and say, Lord, help me, guide me, show me. I get it. I see the big picture. Life is more than what I see, taste, touch, smell. You are. Show me the way forward. It would be different. If we believed. But sometimes it's just easier to have baby Jesus in the manger for incarnation. Jesus says at the end of the Gospel of John, I am a king. It is what you said. I am a king. King of the Jews. King of the world. King of all nations. Jesus, the Messiah. And reading through all those things, you know, the bread of life, I mean, all this imagery is just pounding and pounding and pounding at the Jewish tradition, and all these things are just coming on them, and they can't deal with it. Thousands of years they've waited for Messiah. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you've talked about something because it's a good idea, you're always like, man, it'd be so cool if we could go whatever. You know what I mean? Boy, I wish, whatever it would be, you know. I I wish the kids were out of the house. Or boy, I wish we would go on vacation. Or man, I wish I could get a new job. Or I wish I didn't have to work here anymore, right? Some of us have gotten that experience lately. I hate this place. Here you go. That's not really what I meant, right? Somehow, things change When it becomes real, it changes everything. He says, I am a king. I'm the bread of life. And after thousands of years of waiting for Messiah and thousands of years of seeking God, and maybe you're here today and you're saying, I've been looking for God all my life. I want to tell you, he's right in front of you this morning in Jesus Christ. He is right here in front of you this morning in Jesus Christ. And if you choose today to reject him, it's not because he's not present. Amen. It's not because he's not here, it's because you don't really want to receive him. Stuff is in the way, pride, tradition, baggage, issues, whatever it is, it's in my way and it's not my fault and therefore I can't receive you, not true. Jesus is here today, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. You know the problem with preaching about the incarnation of Jesus is this: the whole Bible is a story of the incarnation of Jesus. Everything we have in the first testament builds up to this point when the gospels proclaim the truth that the Messiah has come in the person. Of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And this is a hard thing to deal with. And a whole new book is written. The New Testament books. When these disciples start to go. This is crazy. He has come. He has come. He has come. And they're running around telling the world. And telling us today. If you're having a hard time with Jesus being God. You're in good company. It's a hard time for a bunch of folks. I want to read from the Gospel of Mark with you as well. Um. Turn back here, Mark 14, page 707, if you're reading along in one of our Bibles. This is what it says, 14, chapter uh, verse 55. The chief priests and the Sanhedrin, that's the rulers of, of the Jewish people, were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they couldn't find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not even agree with themselves, so they're just giving—they're con- anything they can do to undermine the work of God himself. And then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We've heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days I will build another not made by any man. Yet even then, the testimony did not agree with each other. And listen what the high priest says. The high priest stands up. This is the ruler. He's appointed for that time to be the guy in charge of worship for the Jews. And he stands up before them, and he asks Jesus. Are you not going to answer them? What is the testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. And the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? This is a direct question in a synoptic gospel, and Jesus answers, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And when the high priest heard this blasphemy from Jesus' lips, he tears his clothes and he says, why should we hear any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned Jesus as being worthy to die. And they began to spit on him and blindfold him and struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him away and beat him. Here is the moment. Here is the question. Who are you? Are you the Messiah? The one who from the beginning of time was appointed to come. And he says, I am. I am. He says it today to us. If we're asking Jesus today, are you the Messiah? Are you God? He says to us, I am. I want to go through real quickly a few implications of what this means for us if if we look for Jesus. And the first is something that Todd said to us when he spoke to us a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago. He said, in Jesus we have seen God. There's no more mystery about how God would appear, what God would look like, what God would do. Because Jesus was fully God and fully man. And in that moment in time, all the mystery, all the veils were pulled away. By the way, if you want to read a great, um, a great First Testament witness account to who Jesus is, uh, it's on the bottom of your, uh, your, your um, engagement sheet there. Isaiah 53 gives this amazing story. It's not what we'd expect at all. It's not who we'd expect to see at all if God were to come. But it's who Jesus is when he does come. And in Jesus, we have seen God the second implication of the incarnation for us, the radical implication is this. In Jesus, we are without excuse. And here's my big problem. I think we live in a culture that would love to think about it forever. Give me more time. Give me more data. You know what? When the scientists figure this out, I'll finally believe. You know what? Whenever I can put my hands in his, my finger in his hands and stick my fingers in his side, I'll believe. You've had enough information to believe already. And I would say to you today, we are without excuse. We talked about the covenant promises of God and him saying, I stood between there and dividing himself on your behalf. If we reject the covenant promises of God found in the Messiah, the promised Savior who comes to bring peace and life and joy and eternity to you, we are without excuse. We have no more excuses before God. You weren't clear, Lord. Yes, I was. You know, maybe if someone came in the flesh, I did. You know, maybe if someone had told me about you, they did. You know, maybe if I had some internal sense of it, something that I knew was driving me towards you, you did. And you rejected me again and again. We stand before the eternal God without excuse in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, we have direct access to God. I want to read something here from Matthew, or, or uh, Mark, still in Mark 15, that's probably right around that same area, 38. It's this little story that blew me away about the incarnation of Jesus. Mark 15, 38 it says this. 37, we'll start there. With a loud cry from the cross, Jesus breathed his last. And in that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. You know, every one of the Gospels records this account. That in the moment that Jesus died on the cross, when he was there giving his very life for our salvation, for our sin, and for our souls, for our peace with God. When he was hanging on the cross and breathed his last, every writer records That in the temple, the curtain ripped from top to bottom. It's kind of a weird thing to write down, isn't it? It's a little out there. Why would they write that down? I want to turn back to Exodus real quick. I just want you to hear what this curtain is that tore from top to bottom. Exodus 26. This is what it says. Build a tabernacle according to the plan that I showed you on the mountain. He's talking to Moses. This is God, Yahweh, the Eternal One. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linens with cherubim worked into it by a skilled craftsperson. Hang it with golden hooks on four posts of Acadia wood, overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the ark of the testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate, listen what it is, the holy place from the most holy place. And you're to cover the ark and the testimony of the most holy place. Thousands of years of tradition in that moment. When Jesus breathed his last. You know who's there to see that? The high priest would have been there to see that. You know who here is to see that? All those people were saying, You're not God. Save yourself. Pull yourself off of the cross. Prophesy. Be God. And little did they know. That's exactly what Jesus was doing. In the moment when that huge traditional separation, the curtain. One person could go through the Holy of Holies. It was the high priest. who go once a year. That was it. You weren't allowed to go in there. That's where God lived. And in that moment in time, whenever the earth shook, the foundations began to shake, the curtain was torn, and forever things were changed in Jesus. Meaning this, that you and I have the same access to God. The priesthood of all believers You can, you know, Hebrews, the memory verse this week says, you can go boldly because Jesus is there. You can boldly enter the Holy of Holies if you know Jesus. He tore down this old wall of separation that was impenetrable, that could not be gotten through, and by his blood. By the way, the whole book of Hebrews is ridiculous with this. You can read it. By his blood, he made sacrifice. By his blood, he entered the temple. And by his blood, he gives all of us a free pass to get in. No more excuses. In Jesus, we have direct access to God. Thousand. I just want you to dwell on that for a moment more. This type of work was in place for thousands and thousands of years. It's like you would go to church and nothing was the same anymore. It was like you would come here expecting one thing and find out that God was already with you. That God was out there Day in and day out Loving you Caring for you Ripping down the veil And saying Speak to me I'm right here Dwelling with you It was a big deal When the the temple curtain Was torn in two When they wrote it down They knew Man this is going to start trouble Trouble Because things have changed They paid with their lives For the statement In Jesus we've been shown the way We've been shown the way You want to know what Jesus would do? Do what Jesus did. He did it. Read the Bible. You got to know it. Do what Jesus did. In Jesus, we know the way. And the last thing is this. In Jesus, we have absolutely, completely, totally, unequivocally, everything we need. This is my problem, church. If we're offering people anything besides Jesus, we're offering them something less. He's everything you need. He's everything I need. He's God. He's not easy to control. <laughs> you've got to follow him. You've got to listen to him. You've got to just sit there and say, from the inside out, Lord, change me today. But he's all you need. And he's all I need. If you've come here today and you don't know Jesus... I want to confess to you plainly today that he is the solution you're looking for. That the peace with God, that the big story, the thing you're caught up with, life will make sense, what's going on? Jesus is the answer. It's so cheesy these days, isn't it? We've said it so much, it sounds trite, but it's true. He is the solution. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. He made all things, even you. He knows what you need before you need it. The incarnation brings all things together. Remember the garden? There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that Paul writes and says, Just like in Adam, all have died. That's our sin. So, in Christ Jesus, all are made alive. This is still true for us today. I'm going to invite you today to respond. And we say this every week, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. There's no way, there's no right way to respond but to repent, to turn and face the eternal God. Wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with, and you can do it right where you're sitting. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say certain words. You just turn in your heart towards the eternal God, and he is right there waiting for you today. I'm going to invite you right now to pray with me that we would know him, this day, Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus. We thank you for God flesh. It's too great for us. It seems impossible to communicate. It seems impossible to know. And yet, Father, our confession to you today is that we were those who turned. We were those who spun around and found that you were mashing your chest into our face. That we had run so far from you that we thought... Oh, there's no hope for me. And when we turned, Lord, you were there. Father, today we turn again. And maybe for the first time today, we trust you. We turn to seek you. We trust you with everything. And, and today, Lord God, we trust you in your promises. As we turn our hearts back towards you, as we repent of our sinful ways, and we seek that healing, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Do your work in our lives. Teach us to praise you with our broken lips and broken lives. Make us whole again. How much we need peace. How much we need a Savior. We just give you praise and glory. Because we have seen, we have heard, we know, we have touched. We have sensed. You've done all the good work among us. May your name be praised. And may we never forget. May we never stop confessing. May we never stop sharing Jesus. And we come to you through that curtain in his name. And we come to you with these prayers in his name, trusting you. Amen.